welcome to Show and Tell, the movie review podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is Show and Tell 3, Dungeons and Dragons 3, Book of Vile Darkness. Now, this review came about as part of our Patreon campaign. It is one of our milestones that we will have a monthly movie night podcast with uh, some of our patrons. And the movie that we picked for this month was D&D 3, Book of Vile Darkness, which finishes up the current trilogy of D&D movies. So Caleb, myself, and patron Eric were able to sit down and we spend about an hour and a half talking about an hour and a half long movie. Could be considered excessive in some circles. I do want to say that we do earn our explicit tag this week. Not necessarily the words that we use, but we, we kind of get on a bunch of dick jokes and really never get off. And there's another one. So here is Show and Tell, episode number three, Dungeons and Dragons 3, Book of Vile Darkness. So, gentlemen, welcome to our second movie night. It's our actual third movie that we're reviewing, the first one under the show and tell heading. But this is our second movie night through our Patreon reward system. And uh, this night we even have a patron with us. It's amazing. Yay, they do exist. They do exist, and they pay us money. It's crazy. Uh, so I think by now you probably know who I am. My name is Michael. I am a co-founder of the RPG Academy website. And I have, as usual, my co-host with me tonight, Caleb. Hey, everybody. And then we have our super special guest tonight, Eric, one of our newest patrons. Eric, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Hi, my name's Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm here explicitly to break Caleb's poor heart. Oh, <laughs> Well, I do that too, I so quit. it's not exclusively you. We we will together rip his heart out, feed it to him, Tag team. That's pull great. it back out, and then throw it away. I already quit D&D in our 13th Age game, so don't make me quit the podcast in general, because <laughs> I'm feeling right on the edge tonight. No, 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 I'm not allowing you to quit the 13th Age game. I have more pain to inflict on poor Corbin. All right. <laughs> But we are here, ah. we are here tonight to talk about a movie, specifically the Dungeons and Dragons number three, Book of Vile Darkness. Now, Caleb, Colin, why the hell did they keep <laughs> making these movies? So Caleb and I have already discussed briefly. Neither of us cared a whole lot for the movie. Eric is the dissenting voice here. He seems to enjoy it, so I'm interested to see where this will go. But I want to start. This is this is my opening line. This is the movie that is keeping Hasbro from making a $100 million D&D movie. So anything that we say about this movie, keep in mind that this movie is the reason why Hasbro does not have exclusive license to the D&D movie, that it's now in court litigation to try to figure out who actually owns it, because Sweet Pea Entertainment says this movie counts, so we retain the license. Just keep that in mind. Now... Oh, here's, here's a quick question. I assume what first we want to do is get into a little bit of a summary for those who have not experienced the pure agony that is this film. Was this a made-for-TV? Was it on sci-fi? I don't know. I know it came out two years ago, back in 2012. Uh, Eric might actually be able to answer this. My understanding is I thought it was a sci-fi movie. I, I do not think it was a the- theatrical release but it the honestly the the quality of it seemed a little higher to me than sci-fi. Like this was a little bit above uh, Sharknado in my opinion. It, uh, as far as I can tell, it was direct to DVD, and it was by the same director that did Number Two. Okay, so it wasn't a sci-fi movie. It's been on sci-fi, but it wasn't a sci-fi production. Because yeah, I thought that the special effects and even the costuming was a little a notch above 
um, you know, mega shark versus super crocodile sharknado territory. (laughs) Okay, so you're right. The quality wasn't horrible. Uh, There were certainly worse effects in the first two movies. And I would like to start out very early by saying on our last movie night, you made a prediction, and that prediction was wrong. Good sir. Because you predicted, if you remember, that the the conclusion of the movie would be the same as the first two. You're right. A, a bunch of people fighting the dragon on top of a tower. Right. And not only did that not happen, but there really wasn't even a conclusion. That's but what... I get ahead of... <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Hold on. So I do want to make sure Eric gets his fair share, but you're Caleb. You kind of are the summarizer. That that is your now your duty as Captain Crunch. Your first duty to the uh, ship is to summarize. So please summarize for our good audience what this movie is about. Okay, without judgment, and I will try to re- restrain my tone. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons Three: The Book of Vile Darkness. Uh. During the preamble, we are told the story of a big bad guy doing a bunch of bad things, and there's a book. And I think the book was made out of skin. There was a cartoon, and I was a little bit confused. Anyway, then we transition into uh, the rest of the cartoon where there were bad guys doing things, but then the Knights of Paylor. So kudos for using Paylor. Yay! I don't know why they pronounced it as not Paylor, but whatever, it was Paylor. Knights of Paylor came out uh, to conquer all the evil. They did. They had these fancy medallions and shone sunlight on all the bad guys, and they vanished. Uh, so the Knights of Paylor took over. Everyone was happy. But then, as utopias tend to do, things started to slide a little bit. Uh, there had been no new Knights of Paylor for some time and bad things were on the horizon. Uh, the actual action of the movie starts with a, um, a new Knight of Paylor being uh, brought into the fold, uh, but there's some discrepancy because he, does, he is not blessed with Paylor's power. Then bad guys attack from somewhere. Um, something happens, everyone gets killed, uh, and the one remaining good guy goes on a quest to rescue what turns out to be his father, but I had no clue that was happening until he said, I have to rescue my father. Um, he, <laughs> this hero ends up joining a party of other adventurers who are going to the same general location. He has to hide the fact that he's a knight of Palor. They're generally bad guys. There's adventures. Lots of people get killed, there's treasure, there is a dragon, there are no dungeons, Uh, there's a lot of tits, and then the good guy sort of wins. Does he? Does he really? The movie... That was my summary. Okay. I'm not going to come that yet because you told me I couldn't. So, so I do want to say for the record, I actually want to now start a third podcast that is just Caleb summarizing movies. That's it. That, there's nothing else. We just say, okay, Fast and the Furious 7, there's some cars, and they like go around corners fast, and then somebody throws somebody through a wall, and then there's some gunfighting, and then the end. Like, I just, Caleb summarizes the movies. It's, it's, it writes itself. I am 100% in favor of this idea. <laughs> 
All right. Not Eric. that we don't need more to do. Uh, tell me about because it. God knows we don't have anything to do for this show. That was sarcasm. <laughs> All right, Eric. So I want I want to get you on the show here. So you like this movie. So what is it about this movie that you liked? I don't think. Well, I think the biggest thing is context. There is really good movies out there. This is not one of them. But as a longtime fan of Dungeons and Dragons, knowing that the majority, especially, I mean, you understand, Michael, growing up through the 80s and the 90s, Dungeons and Dragons was a bad word, especially here in America. So knowing that, you know, and as I mentioned before, this was in the United Kingdom and it was shot in Bulgaria, I believe. So they probably got a little more uh, backing and a little more support. Here in America, we're not going to get a good movie for probably some time because it still has a lot of bad connotations. You know, you can see it in sitcoms. When you say Dungeons and Dragons, it conjures an image of a fat guy in his basement who's on the brink of, brink of death. And, you know, I, this is not commentary. <laughs> um, hey, you know, the, Michael's the been working out, damn it. That's right. Those Two of those things didn't apply to me. <laughs> see, exactly. But those... Those are the things that the movie is going to be fighting against. And because of that, American investors especially aren't going to give them a lot of money. So I don't want to say that this is a great movie. There's plenty of movies out there that are more entertaining for the average person. For a Dungeons & Dragons fan, or at least a fantasy gamer, they are pretty good. Um, the, the premise of the movie that Caleb kind of glossed over... Uh, the Book of Vile Darkness is actually a supplement that was released in 3.5. Um, I actually have it here somewhere. The premise of it is, is it's all about being an evil character or having evil taint to your character. This book is being threatened to be rebuilt. That's why they're gathering these items in the movie, and that if they put it together, it unleashes more darkness. So... In that context and seeing the fact that one, you know, having that book and knowing kind of what's going on, I can see where they're going with it. Even the people who are the adventurers, which they're all bad guys, except for this supposed Knight of Palor, they're, they're trying to show that there's these abilities that they're using, the Shedarkai, which has certain abilities that you see. You know, I think that that reference to the books and reference to some of the mechanics of a familiar game for fans is actually useful. You know, were my girlfriend not actually a player already, I think the second and third movie would actually serve to say, well, this is kind of what goes on. You know, to, to throw back to the last movie you guys did, you know, I made the comment about the wizard. You know, they left the wizard back to defend their backs while the fighter and the rogue went up to take care of a trap. I've been in groups like that. You know, some of them were successful because the wizard had an advantage. They knew the orcs were coming. They knew how many, so he set up a trap. There's other ones that failed miserably because the wizard ran out, and then there was a bunch of monks ready to kill him. And so, you know, party kill pretty quickly. But I think in the context of as far as being fans, it's actually a really good way to bring more people into the fold. So, see, I don't know. I don't know if I can agree with that statement. I, I do agree that as a fan of D and D you will appreciate it more because you get some of the things that they're doing. But I, I disagree that this is going to bring more people to the fold because I think that people who watch this are going to be like, 
yeah, this is kind of what I thought it would be. Though I did write down at one point, because you mentioned the uh, Shadokai witch, apparently one of her feats is the ethereal bitch slap. Like, they, they, literally, <laughs> they literally showed a moment where she teleported her hand like 12 feet just to slap some guy silly for no apparent reason. I, I just like, seriously? Like, that's what they're doing. So we've got our two sides of the story. We have a pro and we have a con, and I'm going to try to be the the uh, impartial narrator to this story, even though I hated the movie. So as Caleb said, so we start off um, with a, a ritual, sort of a, a rite of passage for this new knight of Paler, as, they, as I think they called it, Paler. and uh, I know, but they, call it, they, they pronounced it weird, like Paler or something like that. And well, you know what? The statue they were going to was a giant dick. So <laughs> who the fuck knows what god it really was? It did look. It did not have any sort of paler symbolism that I could see. But no. uh, so, what was the main character? There was name? a sunbeam on the top of the statue. It looked kind of like a cock face. A, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it was a big giant penis. It was a giant purple worm, baby. <laughs> could be. Could be. Uh, Which is also a giant penis, Eric. <laughs> So what was the dude's name? It was like Argyle Grayson or Achilles Grayson or something. That was the kid's name. Um, yeah, the, the whiny, bitchy hero. Yeah, yeah. Was it was way too pretty to be any any sort of hero. But anyway, so he was not. He did not get the light of Palor upon him, and he was disappointed. Then his dad, who we didn't, it didn't explicitly say it was his dad, but kind of said it was his dad. It says like, well, no one has from that for eight hundred years. We we've all been doing this. Basically, they're Shriners, is what we learned. Is that they're just Shriners. And they get together cool with cool hats. They get together every weekend, and they have, like, a party, and they try to take care of kids. I mean, it's good stuff, right? And then, out of nowhere, people show up and kill them. And we don't know why they did this. It is never explained in the movie wh- what the point of that was or what they got from it or who those people were or if they were any way tangentially co- connected to the plot. They just jumped out, killed everyone, except they captured the father and they left this guy alive. And that was my first note, is when he wakes up, he goes straight to the obelisk, and he tries again. He's like, now, fi- okay, I-, I am the chosen one. And I'm like, maybe you should heel check the people around you, dude. Someone could be alive. Like, he literally, you could, someone could have two saving throws, one more to go, but no, you got to go play with this big dick obelisk thing. Eric has a point. <laughs> I think I know the point he's going to make, but I'm going to let him make it. I, well, it may not be the same one. I can explain why that happened. At the end, when the the spoilers, um, when Grayson is finally becomes the shining hope of Palor or whatever, they explain that they all along needed his blood. So that's why they captured his father. As, as it was all a ruse to get Grayson to go. That was the overarching plan. They don't really detail it that much. But at the end, they explained they never even wanted the father. He was bait. Yeah, the, the implication, which I didn't realize until way after I watched it, was that the, the cloaked party that attacked the, the Knights of the Sun Penis were the evil party. Uh, I think it was <clears throat> very subtly put in there, and probably if I'd had a better, an actual DVD copy of the movie, I, I could have figured it out. But I think if you went back and look at some of the costumes and some of the wonderful CG effects of the spells that were being slung around during that first fight scene, you could have put the connection together. Gotcha. So it, you're right, though, Michael. The very first time you watch it, you're like, what? 
Oh, good guys. Giant stone penis. Oh, God, bad guys. Smash cut. Everyone's dead. Yeah. And you have no clue what's going on. Though I did want to point out, too, that I love the conversation between Grayson and the, his father where he's like, but I thought I was going to get the light of Paylor on me. And it basically, it sounded like an impotence commercial. He's like, it happens to everybody. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I was just like, what? Do you need some Cialis for this? Is that what, that's what's missing from your knighthood? You need some blue pills? This, this movie is sponsored by, but uh, I, by I, Paylor, the and, god of sexual healing. <laughs> I see, Ed, maybe it's because of the fact I didn't think it was that bad, but I think they were trying to make a point of faith. The father is a good representation of actual faith, whereas Grayson had to learn the hard way. It's not about what you get from the deity. It's about having faith in the deity. You know, he doesn't get any help whatsoever until the very end, and that's after he did all sorts of crazy stuff. And But then in the, the instance where he was had a chance to help his father and everything, that's when he was allowed a modicum of power. You know, and then at, I think at the same time, uh, what's his name? Um, the 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 guy with the, the Phantom war, of the Opera, yeah, yeah, the Warlock dude, or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. He says, you know, the power is not in the amulet; it's in the person. I I just I think they were trying to make, and and the writing's not that great. Again, I'm not going to say this movie is a good movie, but it's not that bad. Yeah, I actually do agree that I thought that that part did connect fairly well where he said that the you know the amulet doesn't give the man the power, the man gives the amulet power. And at the end when he has done all these things to and proven himself a worthy knight of the sun penis, he is granted the power to shine his fluid out on everyone because that's kind of what it looks like, right? I I mean I'm not the only person that saw that, right? That's why he could only do it once and then he had to go get a sandwich. <laughs> he did he did need rest for a while. After he did it one time, <laughs> he, got, he was done. He got really tired, took a nap, had a sandwich. Yeah. So you you'll notice that at at the climax of the movie, pun not intended, uh, he he couldn't do it the second time until the hot chick gave him a little bit of help. It okay. Uh, <laughs> at the risk of being just at the risk of being too obscene, she did give him a hand job. There was a little bit more than that. Well, because it was another one. Oh of, wait, no, she did. Yeah, it was a she phantom used, hand job. She used her phantom hand. Phantom bitch flat hand job. Oh, I missed the joke. <laughs> Damn it! I'm sorry. Oh, I failed. Oh man, say versus us. obscenities. Anyway, anyway. So the other comments thing- aside, comments aside, Eric's not allowed on the show anymore because he's too smart. <laughs> <laughs> Good well, point. Before you make fun. that, <laughs> let me. I'm I'm kind of keeping track of how many times there has been a reference to the male genitalia for this episode, a and lot. we're gonna have a penis count. A lot is I, the right answer. Yes, Michael, we'll send this number to you, and the next time you're DMing for Caleb, subtract that from all his rolls. Oh yeah, we'll do. No. Our, yeah, we'll do the I'm a die die thing from Cthulhu and Friends no. with penis jokes. No, so my, I'm already close enough to death in my 13th age game. I don't need a penis penalty. My, <laughs> so one of the other notes I want to mention is that while the production values might be a little higher than, say, your average uh, sci-fi movie, I kept expecting a Frisbee to come flying in off screen all the time because clearly they were filming in parks after dark. Like there was like there was a hacky sack convention and a marijuana distributor within twenty feet of either side of wherever the camera was at all times. 
Oh my I, god, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, well, I will agree, was... especially that first shot with all the knights. Yes. There, it. You can tell they're in a park. It's. It blew my mind. I mean, there was like a swing set in the background, right? <laughs> uh, pretty much. It, it was pretty bad. And then throughout, there were there were several shots that I'm like, you are you are basically interrupting interrupting a LARPing convention or something because you're in a park. It's late at night. You've got a bunch of people that want to do something, and they're just waiting for you to play through, like in golf. They had to have been the extras. Oh, probably. Actually, that's probably the the benefit is, hey, we're going to ruin your LARPing weekend, but you know, I'll be in our movie. So then. Grayson, so he wakes up, he checks no one to make sure they're dead, which I found truly <laughs> offensive, because I think at least one of those people was at negative nine. One of, at least one of them could have been saved, but no, F that. He, touches, he goes straight for the still penis. Yeah, he goes straight back to the penis. Uh, he tries to get something from it. He rubs it a little bit, but nothing happens. Uh, so then he decides to go into town, and, and they spend way too long with him following the shallow stream. With no explanation that I could tell as why that was, it didn't look to me like he was following tracks. It looked like he was just following a stream. Whatever. I, when it cut to that scene, I thought he was just taking a bath. I'm like, oh, okay, so now we're intruding on this dude's private time. Yeah, well, we do That's that later. Cool. We do that later. Though he does take a bath with pants. Uh, so he goes to a town. The first person goes he, right to the whorehouse. Right to the whorehouse. Right. Straight to the there. whorehouse. Yes. And you have the most cliched. Heart of gold prostitute since pretty woman, and he's like, I just want to talk, and she's like, It's your money, and then he shows now, her his penis disc, and then all of a sudden they're together. Yeah, well, that makes sense. But right before that, though, he was walking into town. He had taken off his special Knight of Paler armor. That was what happened during the 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 stream walking scene. Yep. Um. He, oh wait, Eric's gonna give us some good facts here. <laughs> I. I, I I, I will put my commentary on hold. Give us the truth, Eric. I just want to say that following the stream may have been a part of a scene that was cut down of him trying to cover his tracks. That makes more sense. That That's the only reason I could see that you would go in a stream is if you feared you were being followed, but then the next scene is him chasing someone, which was my confusion, as did they follow the stream? Like I didn't get that. It just seemed like he followed a stream to the next town and happened to show up right as the bad guys were leaving the whorehouse, and he recognized them somehow, and I don't know. Basically, it was like first draft. Like, well, we've got to get them together. There's a whore involved. The end. I mean, basically what these guys, when they were writing the movie, it was scenes from a hat, the D&D <laughs> edition, and they literally just pulled things out of a hat. Town. Whore. Tavern. Item shop, dragon. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we have a scene now, guys. Go, go out and get the larpers. Get them. What are we doing? Well, we just pulled out dragon and park and whore. So go crazy. I will say the scenes from a hat is my favorite. Whose line is it anyway? Game. Of course it is. It was always the best. So I do want to mention here specifically that this movie perfectly exemplifies why in my D&D games I never have a magic shop that you can just walk in and buy stuff. Because that was the <laughs> dumbest thing in the whole dumb movie. Seriously. Okay, that, that scene alone is worth hating this movie. Yes! I, I will give you that. The worst Yay, line, Eric's on my side. <laughs> the worst absolute line is okay, I will take the, what is it, the ring of force, a bag of holding, and that knight's armor. 
And then the merchant looks at them. I don't know how he kept a straight face. I don't know how many takes they had to do it. He says, heroic or paragon. Yes. And Grayson gives him the stink face and answers like he should know. Because we all know. I've been playing D&D for over 20 years. I don't know what that means. Oh, you don't, do. you don't know what heroic and paragon mean? It's from 4th edition. And yep. Yep. from levels 1 to 10, you're heroic. And 11 to 20, you're paragon. Which tells me that... Anyone else should have been able to identify that armor and known exactly what class and level he was, which means the bad guys would have killed him instantly. So, movie done. Exactly. But, but Michael, the new armor he got was black. That oh, means he's a bad guy now. So he got aftermarket parts. He got a yes. he got a heroic tier knight's armor, but he got aftermarket parts. Okay, I'm with you now. Now, I, I will say, I, I agree with you in the fact that just walking in to the item shop and picking things off the shelf is horrible. But it's also very cliche. It, it's one of those D&D tropes. In the average game, there's always that scene where the, you walk into a magic item shop or a magic weapon shop and buy whatever you want. Not in a typical Michael game. No, never. And that but, that is exactly why. Because my I don't ever want that scene in my games, ever. Now, what I will say what's also very funny about that is specifically in 4th edition, the first supplemental book that they that uh, Watsi released for items was called The Adventurer's Vault. Which was the name of the shop. Oh. Ding, 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 ding. You get the joke now. <laughs> yeah. That, and I understood the heroic Paragon reference, but, like, I don't know. Because I'm like Michael. It's... No one in my campaigns, when I'm DMing, no one knows what a plus one is. You, you wouldn't hear anyone call it a bag of holding. They may have a bag of holding. The players may know they have a bag of holding. But in the game, it's just a bag that's magical. Because why would you, like, it's, yeah. That, that by far is the worst scene in the movie. I, it's that in the, no. the obligatory sex scene, which wasn't even that sexy. <laughs> There, there are still worse scenes. I don't know. You not ev- you're going to have to convince me. Not counting the orgy, there are still worse scenes. Because that, in my mind, that might be the worst movie. I might be forgetting because I think I did drink myself to a blackout, and I don't even drink alcohol because it was so bad. So it's possible <laughs> that I missed some things, but that, in my mind, is the worst scene. And then we get to meet our our evil party, and right off the bat, I got to go back to D and D two. What the f is up with facial tattoos? Why is that a thing? Everybody has to have. Face tattoos in D and D movies. I don't get it. Well, well, I do at least with the Goliath. That's actually a characteristic of the Goliaths. Um, why it is that way in fourth edition on, I don't know. The Shadar Kai, I don't know anything about. So, but I think part of it is if you're either chaotic, like the Barbarian in uh, Dungeons and Dragons two, or if you're evil, they're tying into the Western portrayal of tattoos. Of oh, they're on the outskirts of society and they're deviant so they have tattoos. I see I counter that cuz in D&D 2 the cleric of of Obadiah had the green racing stripes. So even the cleric had the face head tattoos. That was just to help digestion for the white dragon. Oh okay okay okay. They just slim right on in there. I think the rule is when you have tattoos you're an idiot. Because <laughs> that cleric was dumb as shit. <laughs> Yeah, he was a very, very terrible cleric. He probably would have tried to heal people, though, at the uh, at the battle scene. I'm just saying. At least, oh, he would have. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely would if he was useful. And then he would have ran right into the dragon's mouth. 
that's what he did. I will fall upon my sword. Uh, dude, we're having breakfast. Ah! Avenge me! Speaking of swords, let's just go back a second. The swords that the Knights of Paylor had, those were the worst piece of shit swords I've ever seen. I mean, I'm pretty sure they bought them at Kmart. They were flimsy, they had no hilt, they were wussy little... We're going back to the metaphor of impotence, that the swords of Paylor were slack. But he gets it again at the end, out of nowhere. In the final scene, he randomly has that sword again. Well, I think he got his dad's sword. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it is actually kind of creepy yeah. as well. If, if swords are penises and he got his dad's sword, I don't like this movie anymore. <laughs> I mean, I already, don't, I already don't like it, but now I don't like the whole incestual tone this thing is taking. So we've taken a very long time to go over approximately six minutes of the movie. But fortunately <laughs> for us, the next hour and ten minutes can be summed up as Grayson hangs out with bad guys does good things, but convinces them they're for the wrong reason. Like, there's so much of the movie that falls into that, which I actually thought was kind of interesting. I was wondering if they would be able to be successful with that. One of the first things that ha- well, first thing is he has to kill someone to join the group, which he clearly should have killed the Goliath. Like, they set that up perfectly that he was going to swing around and behead the Goliath to be like, dude, I'm here. But instead, they had the wizard attack him from behind and he got killed. So, End of the day, same thing happened. He killed one of the bad guy group and took his place. Um, then they... Although I do have to say that the uh, Shadrachai told him his addition was to kill someone in cold blood. Which that was not. And the first... Right, I was going to say that. The person he killed was trying to kill him. So this whole movie should never have happened. Well, I mean, for many reasons, but specifically because he didn't do what she told him. Well, the both of our main characters, because I do count the Shadokai Witch as a main character, and Grayson okay. display consistently flexible morality. They constantly say one thing and do the other throughout the entire movie. So at least she was consistent in saying you have to do this to join the group and then not holding up to it. That's true. That's true. Um, one thing I did like, I mean, I, I'm, as much as I hate this movie, I will point out a couple things I did like. Um, it was kind of cool that we saw what would normally be called an evil party. We didn't just get the classic party of do-gooders doing good things. So we had a very tiny toe dip into the pool of the morality behind alignment. And it was kind of interesting to see a good character go to an extreme to do a good act and what he would do to accomplish that act. So that is something that I think the movie at least tried to touch on. It didn't do it very well. Uh, I think it was very busy in what it was trying to accomplish. Um, They were trying to get in all those scenes they had pulled out of the hat, obviously. But they got there. They showed us that aspect of morality. And, And going back to what Eric said a little bit earlier... I think that does show a little bit of maturity about the Dungeons and Dragons game. I, I think when any of us typically start playing, we want to be good guys and we want to be heroes doing big things. As we get older and mature ourselves and our playstyle evolves and matures, we tend to get into those questionable moral situations. Not necessarily we want a hard moral dilemma thrown at us at the game table, but we recognize that that's part of the reality of the game. So kudos for that. 
well, yeah, horrible and, framework. And one of the things that I said uh, in in the second movie is that I did. Why did they have to go with the typical five heroes summoned by the you know the local lord or whatever and go on a quest? It was too cliche. So I actually will give them credit that they they did not follow the same exact structure. And again. One and two were basically versions of each other, so I do I do appreciate the fact they try to go different. They they went with an evil party, but at the end of the day, you still had the same sort of thing. You had four or five characters going off and doing this particular thing. You had some morality at play, and you had the the twist at the end, which wasn't bad. But I still think there's so much more that you could do with a D and D movie than than what we've seen so far. So one of the first things they see, and this was actually one of my my favorite parts of the movie, is uh, they see a dragon attacking a city. And I apologize, I don't, I didn't learn their names because I don't care enough about these characters to learn their names. But the warlock dude and the Shadokar witch girl were having a conversation about how long it would take for the dragon to finish the meal, and and it would be basically sated and 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 uh, lethargic, and they could go in and steal the treasure. And one of them said something along the lines of, well, it takes about an hour per person. So then the other one says, well, that means five hours. And the warlock says, well, it's actually four and a half. One of the victims was a child. And it was just a kind of a funny little quip. I actually, I enjoyed that uh, repartee between the two characters. There was some okay dialogue in this movie. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Most of it was horrible, but there were some good little moments back and forth. And I think that some of those characters in the evil party actually did an okay job with, with what they were supposed to do. I mean, you had the Shadrakai witch with the bitch slap through subspace, whatever. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Make it so. Right. Now, now all I can see is Picard, like, bitch slapping Wesley across the bridge, <laughs> which would have been so much better. Um, you had uh, the, I think they called him a vermin lord, the guy with the, the half mask across his face, who was kind of the really the, the power behind the throne, the big bad guy. Yeah, it turns out he's the main bad guy. Right. Um, you had the Goliath, who, who was a barbarian, who held his spear in the stupidest way possible, and there's no way he ever could have thrown it at anyone. Uh, yeah, it was, it was like, uh, what was the dude's name from the original Nerds movie? Lamar? Remember when they made this the javelin specifically for Lamar so that he could throw it in the games? Like it was the most limp-wristed spear throwing by a giant ever. I I don't know what you're talking oh about. Oh my god, have you never seen Revenge of the Nerds? Are you going to fire me if I say no? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Okay, so I don't know if we can tangentially connect that to this, but we might have to watch Revenge of the Nerds for our next movie. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and then you had uh, the assassin, who was basically a rogue, who had this whole other submission, because he kept talking about wanting to sacrifice someone to do something, and he was just crazy. Like, he would run around with his knives, he had this giant spiked armor, he would put on his helmet, he'd take off his helmet, put on his helmet, <laughs> take off his helmet. Yes. He wanted his face I'm on sure screen a lot. He did not he really want did. he did not want people not to see his face, I think. Although the couple scenes he had when he was just running around stabbing people, he did some okay choreography. Yeah, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. The the choreography at times was actually very impressive with some of the fights. Some of it was awful. Um, especially the, the very going back to the very first scene, 
you have a bunch of knights, regardless of whether or not they've been inspired by the sun penis, as you guys have been calling They get slaughtered, except for the one guy that... And I don't know, in any other war scene, they double-tap everyone who's down on the ground, and then they loot them. No, everything's still there. The knights had taken up a collection who they gave to Grayson, which if they had that much money, you'd think they'd buy better equipment. <laughs> well, I mean, there's not like there wasn't a magic shop like a block and a half away. They could have all got at least something out of it. Exactly. They have Ringo Forces marked clearly on the walls. <laughs> and it was a going out of business sale, too, which I often wonder, was that also a play on 4th edition? Like, were they trying to do like a little bit of a jab at 4E and how well it wasn't doing? That's that's a whole nother level there, Michael. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that. if that was intentional or not, but I did. I was like, um, are they are they saying something there? I don't know because I'm not giving the I writers a lot of credit. credit. I, yeah, I don't I don't really want to give them that much credit because I don't I don't know that they would deserve that much. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, and then the um, the Goliath the most the the most that he does throughout the entire movie is pick up a whore. At least I assume she was a whore. As after they came into the town because what because. The dragon attacked the town. They decided to go steal from the dragon. They ended up fighting the dragon and killing it. And then Grayson convinces them that it's in their best interest to pretend to have been heroes all along to rescue those that aren't dead, go back into town, and then they'll get everything they want for free rather than having to fight for it. Which, again, in D&D terms, that's actually kind of a cool story, a good idea. I would have rewarded that. It was interesting. So they walk up to the city. They get let in. And then literally that's the first thing the Goliath does. He, he just grabs a random girl and picks her up over his shoulder and she starts giggling. And then we transition into the orgy scene, which I've never had a problem with orgy scenes. You know, I mean, I'm okay with them. This one was bad. Like it, it wasn't a good version of an orgy scene. If you're going to do it, at least do it right. But my question, there was nothing about the town that I saw that looked to me that it could have supported a whorehouse at the level that they portrayed in this movie. It looked like a little podunk town, but they had the most elaborate whorehouse. It's like the best little whorehouse in Texas, which is another movie I'm sure Caleb's never seen. It didn't make any sense. Oh, wow. Okay. But it didn't make any sense to me that there would be a whole brothel in this little town. It, it didn't make sense. That's a very good point. I, I don't have a good answer. <laughs> I mean, maybe... Maybe this town, its sole source of income is whores. I mean, people come by, they get some food, they get a whore, and they go on their way. So you're saying it's like it's the income? It's like the biggest ball of string, like when you go on your cross-country trips and you go 20 miles out of your way to see it, that this yeah. town's claim to fame is the outrageously large brothel in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I mean, I would go. If I saw that on the road... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Let's go back to the dragon fight, though. What the hell kind of dragon was that? A stupid one? That wasn't any kind of dragon out of any player's handbook ever written. Because it was, it was red, <laughs> but it wasn't a red dragon. It breathed fire. It kidnapped people, but there, there was no red dragon. It was just a thing. Well, and I think uh, we saw that in some inconsistencies like in the second movie the dragon was like a lich and it could speak and it had magic and you know it was a a personality this was a beast it was a black dragon though yeah true yeah this was just a beast it was a mindless predator 
it didn't seem to have any true intelligence other than like an animalistic cunning. So I don't know. I'm sure they didn't even think about it, but is this a different type of dragon? Is it a younger dragon? I don't know. That's, that's what I would assume. I mean, if you look at the size, yeah, it's still bigger than the adventures, but not by much. Um, so I would actually assume it was either, I, I know in early, early editions, they had the dragon and there was actually some dragon like creatures that weren't sentient. They they barely had uh, animal intelligence. But the size of the dragon alone would tell me that it's a wormling. You know, it, it wasn't that big, which is good because then they did struggle against the fight and survive, but that's how a good dragon fight should be. The little ones should be tough. The big ones you don't mess with. <laughs> yeah. Although I, that that fight scene was horrible. I mean, they had some good scenes in the rest of the movie, I don't know if they filmed this one last and they'd run out of money or they filmed it first and didn't know what they were doing. But it, it horrible effects for it. It ended with rocks falling and everyone dying. <laughs> I don't know where the rocks came rocks from. Rocks fall, dragon dies. I mean, I know that's a GM trope. So I'm okay with it, but I don't know where the rocks came from. Well, so no, it, it was it was a Rancor a Rancor pit um, theme, I think, is that the Shadokai witch had done something. She was trying to trying to drop a ton of bricks, but it didn't quite succeed. And Grayson had to come in at the end and and say the magic word or whatever, and that caused the explosion that, that caused it to happen. So that did make. I don't, I'm not saying it makes sense. It followed itself in continuity. It could have been some variant of explosive runes. He said a command word, it explodes, dropped the rocks. But the worst part, let's not overlook this, is when the assassin suddenly gets into the fight with a shower curtain. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. What? That's true. <laughs> but that, that was supposed to be his wings, right? Yeah, it, it runs up, and the first thing he does is like... It, it, like and you expected right. any minute that the all-star quarterback was going to burst through ready for homecoming. Like, it was clearly paper mache. Yeah, oh, my gosh. So, so after that wonderful experience, we smash cut to the whorehouse. <laughs> well, we have the scene first where they convince them that they are. No one cares about that. That scene. they're heroes. We just go to the whorehouse. So they go to the whorehouse, and um, they apparently this town. It, there must have been more to it than what we saw, because they also had a ton of treasure. Um, I think at one point it was said sixty thousand dollars gold pieces worth uh, dollars gold pieces worth of gems and jewels plus a vorpal sword uh, and some other crazy stuff that that was in this town's treasury because the assassin found it and took it. But then they also only yeah, had it, seven kids, so there's still some wild because if you have a whorehouse that big, you're going to have more than seven kids in the town. I'm I'm sorry, that's just the well, way it works. No, it's okay because unlike the Catholic Church. Paylor's fine with birth control. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's nice to see that they're yeah. progressive. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're totally fine with that. Um, yeah, so we had the whorehouse scene. Then we had... Uh, well, actually... Is there another tavern no, no, scene? Well, actually, no. Okay, we are, we are getting off course here. Because one of the key elements <laughs> of this movie is that the Shadokai witch was about to get killed, but Grayson saved her. And that's how he ended up killing the dragon. Because when they got oh, back to yeah. town... She and Grayson do the horizontal hokey pokey, and but not at first. Not at first. He he, he made his will save the first time. Yeah. Will save against slut. Against see that that's where the wildly inconsistency comes from because obviously right off the bat she's like never going to happen. 
Then he saves her life, so she definitely wants it to happen. He's like, nope, not going to happen. She says, are you sure? He says, oh, okay, I guess so. And it happened. Like, it was well, within moments of each other, their their opinions and their morality shifted. We, we, we did have the scene where she changed her clothes and let her hair down. So that obviously gave her a charisma boost. And he just he just couldn't make the save. <laughs> I mean, that that save versus erection is really hard. Ba-bum-bump. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> I win. <laughs> Good night, folks. So, I'm going but, home. Okay, but in truth, that was one of the scenes that I was interested in talking about because the, what I'm getting from this movie is that he was a true knight. He was the first true knight of Paylor, as we learn later, and blah, blah, blah. So it surprised me that they actually did have him have sex with her. I I expected them to come up with a reason why it wouldn't work, just like they kept coming up with reasons why he could do the right thing, but the bad guys thought that he was a bad guy and it made sense, and it was kind of a, a fun little game that you're playing, similar to the can you make the paladin go get water while you torture the prisoner. You know, okay, it doesn't always make sense, but it's kind of fun to see how you can make it work. And I was getting into that. I'm like, okay, this is fun. Like, let's see how many different ways Grayson can be the hero, but not show them he's a hero, and then they just like, no, he's gonna bang the witch, and I just like, I it, it was off-putting to me as the audience because I actually didn't want them to do that. I thought that was a misstep in the writing because I would have preferred him to stay strong and refuse her. I thought that would have been a better story. I think that would have been better at showing him to be a good person, but I think in light of that, it showed him to be a very troubled, like a you know, it's not. A one step from neutral to good. It's not a one step from evil to neutral. It's a range. It's a gradient. So if he's on the slider scale, you know, they even make the the reference in the books about even a paladin will have an off day and rough up a shopkeeper if he's being, you know, cheated. You know, and I think that's what they're trying to show is that alignment is meant to be a bit of a gray area. It's it's really ambiguous. It's it's. I mean, you're getting into philosophy and metaphysics, and we could spend 300 podcasts talking about that. But I think but Caleb can sum it up that, in five minutes. Yeah, with a lot of penis. <laughs> hey, hey. Well, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But, uh, you know, at the end, I think one thing is is they're also trying to show that sometimes, especially in the circumstance of this grave evil that's coming to light, you have the greater good. And he, he's a horrible example, you know, I, like if, if you're looking for a role model, uh, role model, Gray, Grayson is not a role model. He sucks at a bad guy. He tried to do the good thing, and he failed at that too. See, Shadar Kai uh, witch bumping. And, <laughs> you know, and in the end, he, he comes off as whining throughout the whole thing. So it's not even he's a likable person. But Paylor, you know, could be it could be said that was still using him as a tool. He definitely you know, was a which tool. He, he did portray a tool quite well. Yeah, he was a tool. Though he did save the kids. There were only seven of them, but he did save them. Uh, that was probably his most heroic act in the whole movie is when he saved the kids, and they really downplayed it. I mean... Yeah. What happened to the kids? They just disappeared. I guess he got them out of the town. And, because I thought... But they never played that scene. Yeah. yeah, they never played that scene out. They, they were just, okay, now I'm fine. Yep. They, I mean, they had the... Um, he 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 heard them like in a tunnel underground and went down to save them, and then the 
the real bad guy, the vermin lord, overheard him doing that, and we had this ominous scene of him, like, smiling and being happy about it. Which I guess then plays into the larger story that the vermin lord wanted Grayson to be the true hero, so that at the end he could kind of cull him into the that machine and get him ready for the extraction or whatever. Yeah, he, it's like he was setting up a set of trials for him to pass to prove his worthiness, but he seemed equally happy when he was doing bad things as well. He knew that he killed the barbarian, which we're, we're going to get to shortly, and he seemed excited about that, but that I would not have considered that to be a holy act. So it, there is, it's still inconsistent in in even that, like if he was trying to set up these trials to prove his worth, so that he would be the ultimate knight, so that the blood would work, then I don't, I just don't, I don't get it. it was wildly inconsistent in in what was going on, which does actually fit D and D pretty well because I'm that way as a DM. I set up some things that, and you go back and listen, you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Unless so, it's a ninja, yeah, and then we all know why. Exactly, happens. and then ninjas, fucking ninjas. Um, so we, okay, so they, the whorehouse town, everyone banged, they left, oh, they were gonna, then, that's when the rogue took all the treasure, and they were gonna leave with all the treasure, and the townspeople grew a set of balls and said, you're not gonna live with our treasure, and the bad guy said, well, fuck it, we're gonna kill you, and... Then the leader of the town gave them that wonderful five count. Oh my god, what was that? I will count to, to five, five, you toddler. Maybe you will sit on your chair properly by the time I count to five. No, daddy, I don't want to. That's all I heard in that scene. No, no. And I don't even have kids, oh, so okay. there you go. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up, okay? And I see Eric's jumping at the bit. I'm going to let you jump in in a second. So, so at first I thought it was the same guy. I actually thought it was the same guy that was killed from before. I thought maybe this there was some sort of magical or whatever. But he comes out and he's like, you've killed our leader. You've done this. You've stole our treasure. We're going to fucking kill you. And then someone says, uh, how about we take half the treasure? Okay, sounds good. And then the warlock says no, and then they fight. Again, wildly inconsistent morality. Alt, I'm going to kill you. Everybody dies. Well, because he actually had a thing on his neck that was going to explode, and he still was like, "No, I will die to see you suffer." How about half the treasure? Okay, that made no sense that it would go from one to the other. Eric, what do you think about that? I, that I think that's another example of. I think there's a lot that was cut from the movie for whatever reason. That would explain some of that. Because when they first get into town, there's a scepter that the witch is holding. And that's one of the things that they keep. And they mention something about they want certain things from the, the, the treasure that was recovered. And so I think there's meant to be a side story tied to that. But they probably had a bunch of script that they cut out the wrong parts. So now you have, just like you said, you know, he's being a real... I mean, he's courageous. He's, he's willing to die for his beliefs. He counts to five, which I understand that he's giving them a chance to change their mind, but <laughs> it's yeah, it was a little it was a little too much. I, I think I think the idea was sound, it's just poorly implemented. And I think they were just trying to show that at that moment and, and they were trying to set up a uh, dramatic moment so that uh what's his bucket, uh Grayson could jump in and say, 
wait, you know. And, you know, then, of course, he still gets torn to bits by the Shadarkai witch, you know, whatever that is. I didn't recognize that, you know, necklace of explosion. Yeah. I, Everyone knows the necklace of explosion. Come on, man. Yeah. Which another was another, I, it was another phantom hand job thing where her, she teleports her hands across time and space and puts a pearl necklace on, on him, which then ultimately leads to his death. Uh, but yeah, oh my God. so the only thing I'm thinking now is, is maybe they, maybe there's like some true meta humor and meta gaming going on here where they filmed one night, just like a D and D game. And then they waited a week and then they filmed the next night and the DM came up with all these cool, interesting ideas and ways they wanted to implement. And that's why you have these, what seem to be vastly, uh, uh, conflicting ideologies is because it's been a week since the last game and people are kind of fuzzy on the memory and they're like, wouldn't they count to five or something? Oh, I don't know. How about half the treasure? Okay. That might be it. That might be it. I think, I think that I would also like to point out that when the townsfolk are threatening the evil party, they all are holding shields and spears. But the, the 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 town leader, as he's counting to five, is saying, at the count of five, fire! <laughs> Which I would think would imply bows and arrows, or at least a crossbow. <laughs> he probably knew they had javelins. I mean, why wouldn't you say, at the count of five, throw your javelins? Or release, why would you say or fire? attack. I'm, it's just a poor choice of words. Bad phrasing. But wasn't then everyone died anyway, so who cares? What was that, Eric? I was going to say, wasn't there archers on top of the walls? If so, they I'm didn't say do no, anything. Because I think I was funnier. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so they get out of the city after they kill practically everyone. And, uh, except for the seven kids. Except for the seven kids. Um, Grayson hate bangs the witch again. He's mad at himself for doing it, but that doesn't stop him from doing it. And then he takes a bath in the lake, right, to wash off his shame. I think so, yeah. Also, I want to notice, and it might have been because I did watch this on YouTube and the quality was a little bit poor, but after the first night of the horizontal hokey pokey with the, with the witch, he had these claw marks on his chest. And on my version when I was watching it, it looked like they kept moving. Like, I kind of think they were CGI scratch marks because the next day when he's in the bath, they're completely gone. Like, they didn't re-CGI the, the scratch marks on his chest, which I thought was a poor, poor, poor choice. Well, the first time, he was just flexing his massive pectoral muscles. That's why they kept moving. Ah. <laughs> you were just too distracted by his, his massive muscles. That, that's what I was looking at, yeah. So the, Although, in that same scene, the, the Shadrachai heals the massive head wound he has had for the first half of the movie, <laughs> but doesn't heal the little love scratches she gave him. Oh, well, no, he, but, he earned those. But hold on a second. The love scratches were on his pecs. Uh-huh. So was she behind him? <laughs> I'm just thinking about the physics well, of that. I, without I don't want to do too much. Without getting too graphic, I can think of some positions where that would work. So we'll, we'll, we will move on. <laughs> So he hate bangs, he hate bangs her again. I'm going to get out my protractor. I want to look at the angle of the scratches, <laughs> extrapolate from there the the geometric position of her arms. We're playing and... fifth edition, not Pathfinder. We're not using a grid and minis. Damn it! Theater of the mind. It works. So he he, he hate bangs her again, and then he decides, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to murder all these people. So he just... exactly so, so... another split second decision, <laughs> and he he wakes up. He, he does the typical, she's in bed next to him, 
picks the arm up, puts it down, somehow doesn't wake her up, yeah. goes off and have a powerful thinking moment, and he comes out of that moment and says, fuck it, I'm a murderer. I'm going to kill all these a-holes. So he start, yeah. starts with the Goliath, which... As of yet, has still not done anything in my mind that makes him a fearsome warrior. Like, I think he would be the last one I would kill because I'm pretty sure he's the weakest of the group. At least he he appears to be based off of empirical evidence thus far. But he uses some poison because early on we forgot that the uh, the whore with a heart of gold made sure he bought poison. The first whore. So that, yes. We have to clarify here. The first the, whore, not the second one. The first one with the heart of gold made him buy poison in case something happened, he could kill himself so that he wouldn't suffer. So he puts that poison in his water skin, which looks like a balloon inside of a burlap sack. And he convinces the Goliath to take a drink, and then he dies. And then, again, I'll give him credit here. This was kind of interesting. He hides the body in the bag of holding, and then puts all the treasure in it, and then throws it all in the lake. So the next morning, it looks like the Goliath Barbarian took off with all their treasure. Although I would like to point out that I I don't think that's how a bag of holding works. Because there was this scene where he was kind of like shuffling it over the Goliath body and it was like expanding and then, I mean, it, maybe it does work that it, way. Rule, I don't know. I'm just trying is, to pick apart the movie. As rules is written, so I think it ha- there's, a, there's like a size diameter that fits. But as a DM, if someone said, can I hide the dead body in the bag of holding, I would say yes. It was a good idea. I mean, it, it was a creative moment. If he was a player, and you said to the player, okay, you just murdered somebody, and you have to hide the body, and you're in the woods, what do you do? And the player says, oh, I have a bag of holding, right? I'm going to shove him on in there. Yes, and. That's a good moment. That's a, that's a good improv moment there. Yes. But let's also point out that up to that point in the movie, the Goliath had pretty much said nothing other than a, like one or two sentences and a couple grunts. And when he's sitting there about to die, he has this wonderful monologue. And he's this like totally refined, very educated person. And then he just, you know, gets murdered. Dies, yeah. Kind of sad. There's a couple of earlier moments because one, when they're first after they first meet up, they're walking away. The assassin mentions to Grayson and says, "Oh, you're looking at Accordia, um, you know," and, he, and he, it, you can tell they're checking her out. And and Grayson makes some juvenile compliment, uh, comment about that. And then um, so the assassin puts his hand on Grayson's shoulder. And Grayson says, "You you won't be carving anything into my gravestone with one hand." And then the assassin makes some strange threatening pose and says, do you want to see what I could do? It was a very strange pose. But then Vimac, the, the Goliath, he steps in and he says, leave him alone. You know, then later on when they defeat the, or they're going to, it's either before or after they defeat the fire drake. The uh, Grayson says, let's go get the people. There's more back there. Vimac, come help me. Vimac's ready to go. He actually goes, and then uh, the witch, she speaks up and says, you don't take orders from him. You take orders from me. So I think they were trying to show that he was less evil and more just chaotic neutral with a vengeance trip. But I think there's a, a, a large... I have a sneaking suspicion as why he died first and why he didn't do much in the movie. If you look when they first meet, and he's standing in front of Grayson, and uh, Grayson says, you're looking for strong arms, the Goliath walks up to him, grabs his arm, they show the height difference, and 
the actor playing Bimac is not that tall. So there was probably a good reason to get rid of him quickly because they probably couldn't afford to keep him in the movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> every other shot they have is him like alone, so you can't tell how big he is. <laughs> That's what Apple That's crates really are good for. Point. Oh, man, this is just such a well-made movie. I tell you, I mean, it, it, quality. Yeah, absolute quality. So so then the, the thief comes back, the assassin, he wants the horn, which is what they have. And he's like, no, I don't want the treasure, I want the horn. So they kind of get into a fight. Long story short, the Shadokar witch or the warlock, I'm not sure which one, kills the assassin with a scorpion, magically puts a scorpion in his hand, stings him. He asks, he begs. Oh, it was, it was, the, it was the, um, the, the warlock guy or the vermin lord, whatever. They're fighting, and then he slips a scorpion in there. Yep. So it stings him, and he 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 asks for he asks Grayson for forgiveness. He's like, please mercy, and he says no, and then he dies. Which is funny because at the point he said no, if he, even if he had said yes, it's too late because he died instantly after that. So then it's just down to the warlock, the Shadowcar witch, and Grayson. And the next scene really didn't make sense, and it kind of creeped me the frack out. So next thing they're in like a forest at night. Oh, the zombie scene. Not even a zombie. I don't. I don't. I don't know what that was. So there's like this circular stone pit thingy with a demon head turned around. She has the horn, which they again. I don't know. I don't remember them really ever explaining it. The head turns, so she puts the horn where it would go, and then all of a sudden, a CGI baby zombie thingy shows up and wants to suck everyone's finger. I, I think that comes from the Book of Wild Darkness. This moment of actual fact brought to you by Eric, yeah. who will never be on the show again because we don't care. <laughs> Stupid facts keep getting in the way of our fun. Yeah, so the important thing in that scene where Grayson lets the assassin die is that, if I remember correctly, during his vows, he vowed always to help people and give mercy if they ask for it. And the assassin is like, please have her heal me. Uh, I'm begging, I'm begging, mercy, 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 and he's like, no, fuck you. So it's just adding to this moral dilemma that he's putting himself through. And then, so then it's just the three of them, and we get to this creepy zombie baby. Yep. Now, the the Phantom of the Opera dude, the, uh, the Vermin Lord, he says something here about, well, maybe I'm wrong, though. I thought he said something about she feeds on sorrow... And kindness kills her, or goodness kills her, or something like that. Or it's detrimental. It's basically you're setting up that when she touches Grayson, that they're all going to know he's actually good, and that. But that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. That doesn't happen. It happens when she touches the witch. Yes, which was very weird. You actually never see her touch the witch. It's between Grayson and the witch that she responds, because that actually confused me. Was it love that she tasted from Grayson, or was it right after? Because it's kind of a delayed reaction, but you never see her touch the witch. I just want to state for the record that there probably was something on Grayson's hands. I don't know that I would call it love, though it is a bit of a gray area there. I mean, more white than gray. Yeah, def- definitely white. And kind of shaking. <laughs> yeah. Let's In call case... it Paylor's Grace. Yeah, Paylor's Grace was all over his hand. And whatever the Shadowcar oh. Witch worships as well, but yeah. But what confuses me? One, I just I didn't like the scene. But 
the part that confuses me is that that was clearly a CGI little girl, and it had some very creepy. had some creepiness. But I don't think the creepiness could have been like I don't think it would have been worse just to have hired a little girl actress and put some makeup on her. And they probably would have saved like seventy grand that they could have used to I don't know rent a bigger park, like that to me was poorly spent money for what it did because because the actions it did were so uh, animated that it was it was fake it didn't look real at all you could clearly tell that it was CGI or, or animated in some way so I just I thought it was just a poor choice of uh, resources unless like somebody's friend must know somebody who works at an animation studio and this was like a you know, a, a kickback kind of deal. I don't understand else, why else they would have put it in the movie. It just didn't didn't make sense. The whole scene didn't make sense. I mean, just from a, not from us complaining about it, but just from a contextual, in a movie, the plot progressing logically, they were suddenly in the scene, there was suddenly a zombie, then she was gone. No explanation. Well, and that was another moment in the park where I really was pretty sure there was a merry-go-round in the background. <laughs> It felt like that kind of thing. Well, she was gone because some, either Grayson or the witch, something they something she tasted on their fingers, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be gross here. That's just what happened. Uh, set her off, which means her daddy, which was like some kind of knotted animated armored demon thing, oh, yeah. shows up and they have to fight it. And then when they kill it, somehow, because you, well, first of all, you think the warlock's dead at that point because uh, it looks as though he was killed. Then... The other two, the witch and the Grayson, kill that thing, and then they find the cover of the book hidden in his armor. That seemed very oh. arbitrary to me. I, I don't know if that was the master plan, but I I wasn't following at that point. I mean, may, maybe this was something that we missed from a cut scene or just a poorly written plot. Maybe the horn was to summon this fire knight because he had the last piece, and this zombie, creepy little girl was the first trial they had to get through to get him or his protector or whatever. Totally didn't make any sense. And then, yeah, this was another gr- example of really horrible computer graphics. A giant horned knight with kind of flaming body, kind of not. It, I don't know. Yeah. So hey, did you find it, Eric? I see you working there hard, scrambling through your book. Yeah, I didn't find it, but I... I want to say it's in a it's a ghoul like they they call them a thought ghouls or something. It's either in the Book of Vile Deeds somewhere or I think maybe even the Libris Mortis. Uh, the the other thing that you guys are talking about the the evil knight it's a doom knight isn't it or a helmed horror excuse me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's what they were going for. Let's say but, yes because who knows. <laughs> I think one of the, the the there's the little tiny moment that I think was really great but really gross in itself is when they get to the little creepy girl, which the animation was really offset. It didn't match the rest of the movie. It's not a great scene, but the scene in itself was pretty well done because it was very creepy. You definitely could tell she was evil. First, the vermin lord goes in, and uh, the you know he's feeding her. He sticks his finger in his mouth after she's done. Yeah. That's the that chills up my spine. I was grossed out. Yeah, after he was done, he, he like licked off his finger. Because I guess there was some grace of Paylor on it, too, or something. I don't know. But, yeah, it was pretty disgusting. But that triggers the fact that they now have the pages, 
which was already found. Now they have the cover. The only thing missing to remake the Book of Vile Darkness was the blood, which was lost, as we learned in our little cartoon at the beginning, which is why they needed the first true knight of Palor in 800 years to bleed him dry so that they could actually repin the words. So then they teleport into uh, Gloomrot. They went to some sort of shadow realm. I think it was supposed to be the Shadowfell. Yeah, and uh, and they met the guy who looked like Ming the Merciless, but with his face stapled together. Yeah, the big the big bad guy was apparently this dude who had a gem on his forehead and talked to people psychically through the gem, because his mouth was sewn shut. But every scene he, that he was in in that in the final act of the film, he was still moving his mouth and talking, but they CG'd his lips closed, and it looked really really horrible. Yeah. You would think if if you were someone that either couldn't unsew your lips, because, I mean, if you're the ruler of this kingdom, you think you could find someone that would do that for you, or it was done on done on purpose, on, on purpose, on purpose, and you wanted it that way, you would get used to the fact and you wouldn't try to mouth the words. You would just, it would just happen. And I hated the sound effects because I really, I couldn't understand a freaking word they were saying. Every time the girls were that double echo speak, I'm like, I don't, I don't know, whatever. Something plot, plot, plot forward. Yeah, he, the kind of a cool point of him as a big bad guy is that he couldn't talk, but he talked psychically through his slaves. It's been a trope in a lot of different movies. It's a cool concept, but when they did it here, I think maybe they decided they didn't know if they wanted him to be that type of person or not until after the fact. So they just had the guy there saying the lines and then CG'd it later. I mean, maybe it was budget and they, they realized they couldn't pay him scale for a speaking part. So they had to go in and dub all of his lines out and then CGI his mouth closed. And that was cheaper. Maybe who knows? That, that might've been it. So uh, Grayson gets a room. He sneaks around at night. He finds his dad hooked up to the same machine that's in the princess bride. That's the soul sucking machine. Because uh, he's got all these... That, no, no, no. Don't bring the Princess Bride into this. It's too good a movie to even associate it uh, with this piece That of was life. what I thought of when I saw the little, like, kicky marks on, on Dad's chest. I did too, but yeah. I, I don't want to so go. So he rescues Dad, and he falls unconscious. And yet again, like, just bad dialogue. His dad falls unconscious, and he goes, Dad, Dad, Father, Father, Dad, Father, Father. He says it, like, 37 times. You could have used the guy's name. You could have said, like, hey... But no, you had to shout to the rooftops the plot that has now been revealed that you're, this is your dad so that when the Shadowcar Witch comes in, she goes, this is your father? Then... That was a great impression. Dad gets some, wow. dad gets some attitude. Like, I was like, Dad, you need to calm the frick down right now. You're about to get rescued from the anti-portal of Hades and you want to talk about where your son's dick has been first? Like, that was just like an odd time to bring up this morality issue, I thought. Yeah, when Grayson goes in there, he cuts his dad out. There's this moment where his dad's like, you son of a bitch, why did you become evil to rescue me, you asshole? Yeah! And then he falls unconscious, and then the chick comes in, and the dad's like, oh my god, I can't believe you fucked this evil chick. And the Grayson should have been like, dad, I'm wearing black armor. Deal with it. You can see the armor. You're not blind. They didn't put your eyes out. I'm wearing black. I'm obviously changed alignment. Yes. I learned it from watching you. You, Dad. <laughs> it was pretty freaking awful. So he then uses yeah. the Ring of Force, which was a callback to the Adventurer's Vault, because he's like, uh, just a minute. 
bam, knocks her out with a ring of force. Right. Gets his dad into like a penthouse suite. Looks like the Trump suite at the top of the Sheridan or something. Uh, locks the door. They're about to get broken down. With an axe. He doesn't even lock the door. He just braces the handle with an the, the handles of the door, which are like big refrigerator handles, with an axe that just happened to be there. But no one that's outside can break through those doors. They're fucking magical. Well, not until you have your, your moment where the sun says, let's go out, blaze of glory. We're going we're gonna to Sundance. Billy, there was it uh, Sundance and what's-his-face, this or Thelma and Louise. Yeah, that's right, Sundance, this bitch. Thelma and let's go out swinging our sword, Dad. And then oh, <laughs> the light of Paylor begins to shine from the amulet. So he pulls it up. Paylor's. And he just starts spraying Paylor's grace in everyone's face around like a water hose. Every big old happy jizzle <laughs> of of divine glory. Oh, divine glory everywhere, top to bottom, left to right. Everybody gets a share. Divine glory for all. And somehow this magically kills all the bad guys. Sort of, but not not everybody because he actually gets knocked unconscious shortly after that. I actually I'm not sure how that happened. Yeah, he. Well, he got tired, he needed a sandwich, and, and they came up behind him and hit him on the back of the head when he was, when he was relaxing. Was, so, so once he was spent, uh, he fell asleep, basically. <laughs> God, stop it! Seriously, folks, we're not trying to make this, this disgusting. It's just how it is. But anyway, so he falls asleep because okay. he's exhausted. And you would be. Oh, wait, Eric's going to say something that's not a dick joke. Hold on. <laughs> let, let, let Eric say something. Go ahead, Eric. I have a question. Either Michael or Caleb, do either of you have a dice that's over 100? Because I think we're going to need a big one for this. <laughs> no. So we're not going to worry about that. Yeah. But yeah, so they, they fight. They realize they're in this... Because they were going to jump out the window because Grayson thought they were in a castle. They're like, oh my god, we're in a shadow dimension. Oh, we're going to fight. Oh, look, we're now we're holy paladins now. And then he gets knocked out or something. They throw him in the machine. And they're like, it was really you all along. Blah, ha, ha. Big reveal. They start to, they start to torture Grayson and pull his, extract his juices, whatever. And here, here's the point. They, they had to... It wasn't. It wasn't just his blood because if it was just his blood, they could have just killed him and taken his blood. I think it was something more involved. They call it liquid pain. Well, that's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> so they need that liquid pain, TM. It's the bad guy's new energy drink or something. <laughs> I don't know. So they're they're torturing Grayson for the newest energy drink, and then. The, the witch feels bad or something and uses her shadow hand to throw the Paylor amulet to Grayson, and he goes all crazy good guy and shoots everybody and kills them all. Yeah, like everybody. Like, yeah, he hit, he's just zapping everybody. Then he hits the big bad guy with the jaws that shouldn't move but do move, and then it, like, prisms out from him into everybody else, and everybody's dead. And Grayson's like, oh, well, I guess I'm a hero now. Yep. Then she tries to get him to go back to her hometown with uh, with her and, and live an exciting life because apparently he can bone like no others. She's willing to live with that. And uh, he says no. He's like, all right, well, if I see you again, I guess I'll try to kill you. Okay. And she teleports out of there. Credits. 
And I that was that's the worst part of the movie. That is the worst part of the movie because there is no conclusion. She's like, "Hey, you want to come with me?" No, I'm a good guy. Well, are we going to fight next time we see each other? And he's like, "I don't know." And she's like, "All right, peace." <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> and I think what the hell was that? What the hell was that? I think it was meant to be flirtatious, like they were saying. Because I'm thinking back to the ghoul. I think, because the ghoul, the little girl, she's complaining about love. I think the witch is the one who was in love. I think Grayson passed the test. So I think the witch is the one who fell in love, which is why she was so upset when she found out that she was being lied to once they got to father, father, father. And... Uh, you know, after everything that happens, I think she was trying to say, you know, we can still be together, but I think there was meant to be, a, you know, we know we can't make this work, which I'm glad that there was no happy ending. They, the guy gets a chick, even if the guy looks like a chick. He, you know, I'm glad that it just didn't end up that way because, uh, you know, even in D&D, that doesn't happen often. <laughs> well, plus his dad so, really wouldn't have approved. Like, his dad seemed like he was kind of a hardcore against it. Exactly. Which, the, that that's one of my problems is, the, he gets the holy light of Paylor, and he starts blasting away, Grayson does. The father gets jack shit. The father's been trapped all the time, enduring torture. He hasn't broken any of Paylor's tenets, and he doesn't get anything. Well, he that that was the worst part of the movie. Well, I think what we've established here is that his dad did not, he, uh, he used the point by, and his stats were not high enough to be a paladin. And that's what happened. He didn't have the prime requisite charisma score, so he could not. He could only be a knight. He couldn't be a paladin. Uh, it was just such a frustrating end to a very frustrating yeah. movie. Well, and then the very last <laughs> thing that happens is the the uh, vermin lord, warlock, whatever. We think he's dead because he looked to have been killed, much like the barbarian in part two. But again, no. And at the very end, he turns into, like, bats and flies towards the screen, and then it cuts to hard black, so you realize that the uh, he is still alive. And that really is the end. Like, they're still in the shadow world. There's hundreds of dead bodies around them. They have no magic that we know of that's going to allow them to teleport out of there, so apparently they're stuck in the shadow realm forever. The end. But the witch just stepped on that teleport circle and left, so I think they could use that, because they used it to get there from somewhere else. Uh, maybe. I mean, I guess... Probably there's there's an explanation there, or who cares? But so we've spent about as long as this movie is on talking about this movie. But I think we've gone through it pretty well. Um, Eric has stated his case nicely that there this movie probably isn't as bad as we're making it out to be. Uh, but we're close to an hour and a half, so we need to, we need to wrap this up. So uh, so uh, Caleb, we'll start with you. I will then sum up what you said, and then you can sum up again what I said about what you said. So. Any closing thoughts for Caleb on this movie? It's a really bad movie, but there's a couple good parts. It does have a somewhat interesting story, and it definitely brings out and evokes some very classic, stereotypical D&D tropes. So for a fan, it's a good film, sort of. For anybody else, it's a horrible movie. Don't ever use this movie as the example of, hey guys, I play D&D, why don't you watch this movie and see what I do? Yeah. Don't ever do that, because your friends will hate you. 
All right, so Eric, apparently you liking this movie has angered Paylor and that he is sending a thunderstorm your way. So uh, what would your closing thoughts of this movie be? <laughs> it's not a great movie. It's I, I will agree with Caleb. If you are a fan of D&D and you can tolerate you know, not-so-good movies, it's worth seeing maybe once. Have some drinks nearby. Be ready to laugh along with friends because there's some really bad scenes and... There, the plot it has whole, more holes in it than apparently Paylor's condoms do. So, <laughs> um, but if you if you want just something fun, something fantasy based, and you want to make a point of, hey, this is something from D and D to someone not as an example, but as someone who's already kind of interested, is like, well, what else is there to D and D? You can say, well, this is a poorly done rendition of an evil party, and Enjoy it. It has some things to laugh at. Maybe not intentionally what they were going for, but it could be fun for a night. If you wanted just a good fantasy movie, there is probably a thousand and one different movies you could hit. So all I can think of right now is I'm picturing a box of condoms that say Paylor brand, and then it just says they're holy. And then they're like, we told you! <laughs> like, why are you mad? <laughs> we said on the box! Wait, who, they're full of holes! Who, who, who was Paylor's opposite in the Pantheon? Was it like the... Uh, we just... Melchior? Huh. All right. Whichever whichever deity was the opposite of Paylor, I see that deity sneaking into his, Paylor's bathroom with the safety pin. Bing, bing, and bing, just... Bing. Boop, 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 <laughs> each one in the strip. And then leaving. Because, you know, that's what bad guys that's do. That's right. Dick move. So my closing thoughts would be that uh, this is not a great movie, but I would say that it's better than either of the other two, and that if I was forced to watch either, either any of them, I would pick three over either of the other two, that the frustrating thing for me is that there was some potential here. There were some things in this movie that were interesting. I give them credit for some of the choices they made. I, uh, I just think it was poor execution uh, in a lot of places. But uh, overall... It it probably wasn't as bad as I had fun making fun of it. It wasn't a good movie. I mean, let's get that clear right now. But uh, for me, it was probably the best of the three. Eric disagrees. He still thinks the second one's the best, right? I, I think the second one is more indicative of a traditional D&D campaign. It's really corny. The writing's worse. It doesn't really touch upon any overarching moral dilemmas or, you know, alignment issues or anything like that. But I think for just simple, you know, straight to the point, you know, these are the good guys. This is why, you know, we want them because of the wisdom and the strength and all, you know, they go through the stats. <laughs> they, you know. Get to that guy for his fun. wisdom. <laughs> oh, get to that guy for his strength. Let's form the perfect party through the power of Paylor. Wait, Paylor wasn't even in that goddamn movie. It was Obat High. The jackal forest god. Motherfucker, I hated that movie. I apologize for yelling, but I really I don't hated know. that movie. You know, on the DVD of that movie, they actually have an interview with Gary Gygax. Really? That's terrible. Yep. And he actually, um, and I don't know if he was involved with this, but there's also, they mentioned the statistics for the characters in that movie. And uh, the woman actually has one level of Claire in Obed High. Ah. Uh. That's just stupid. <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing is, is the reason why you're complaining is because of all the the horrible things about that movie. It's because they didn't make it through production. I think, 
I think what it is is it's all going to boil down to is if you want a good production, these aren't it. Yeah. As far as movies in themselves, knowing that they're badly produced, that you know they just don't have the 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 backing and the support yet, like a Star Trek movie does. They're not that bad. I th- and I think the second one's more family friendly. I think that's kind of why I lean towards that one. That definitely give you that. There were no tits in the second one. <laughs> or giant penises. <laughs> Or Wayne's Brothers. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the second one is just the, the best you can go with. Our next movie will be The Princess Bride, which hopefully will change the tone of our uh, movie nights considerably. I don't know if there'll be as much fun to listen to. Well, yeah, because it'll just be us talking about how awesome that movie is for an hour. Yes, more than likely. Uh, but say it's inconceivable. I, I, I appreciate you guys joining me. Caleb, Eric, thank you so much. Uh, Eric, thank you for being a, a patron of the RPG Academy. And uh, I look forward to doing this again sometime soon. You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at therpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at The RPG Academy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash The RPG Academy. We also have a Google Plus page, The RPG Academy. As always, thanks for listening. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.